Hi, you're listening to A Private View with me, Maeve Doyle, the host of the show, and I'm about to speak to Saul Summers. He is getting ready for a show called Dysmorphia at Maddox, Los Angeles, a show curated by Josh McDonald. And I, I can't wait to hear more about Saul, his work, and, and what he has to say about life as a painter, COVID, and this upcoming exhibition. Hi, Saul. Thank you for making the time to be with me today. Hi, Maeve. Uh, thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here and to, to get the chance to talk to you. It's great to have you here as well, because I've been reading about your work, and there's things that I, I'm tripping over, and maybe one of one of the things that we can address is what people write about your work and how you feel about it. I seem to read over and over again that you you make large modern impressionist paintings. Now the word modern and impressionist seem like they're in opposition to each other. So how how does that sound about a way of describing your work? Uh, I think with the way I work that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, things are kind of uh, broken down into their individual pieces and then reconstructed so that's a, an idea and a process that's always been interesting to me to pursue and um yeah as far as the large scale um what was the term you used large scale it, it what i read on an, an art net review of your work was they're calling it large modern impressionist paintings juxtaposing seemingly nonsensical components your work his work offers viewers new perspectives and facilitates the process of self-discovery i think the only thing i can confirm or deny in that is is the is the large scale element and i i do love to work large and um it's something i just i got really addicted to i think when i started you know painting in my dad's basement uh after after dropping out of college and i was kind of looking at the prospect of moving to new york or la and uh, i just thought it's a lot easier to get a big studio in la so a lot of what drew me to la was the fact that uh you know i could make bigger paintings here and uh people had space for them in their houses so <laughs> it's it's very real. Could... It's very real. It is harder to sell large canvases in England or in Europe. You're right. Yeah, even New York. I mean, you can't. It's, it's very hard to squeeze uh, an eight foot an eight foot painting into a Manhattan apartment. <laughs> so, what about you? Said something about the process about taking things apart and putting them back together. And that, and you said, yeah, that does sound like your way of working. Did you mean conceptually working, thinking about things, or, or technically working, or maybe that's a bit of both? Um, I, I meant when I said it more in a in a very literal sense. I, I tend to focus in on, uh, you know, one part of the painting and get it to a point that I like, and then let that kind of grow out in all directions. So. For me, things do feel somewhat disparate while I paint. Um, I was just thinking about this yesterday, and I was thinking it's almost like if a poet um, tried to write a poem letter by letter, and it's like you're so zoned in on the 
tiny zone or space that you're working on um, that you, you don't really have, you lose sight of the whole thing. But, uh, you know, as you hold that, I think you're kind of holding the image or I'm holding the image in my subconscious in the back of my head. And um, I try to just immerse myself in that like square inch of the painting in that little tiny section of the painting and just go little by little by little and then step back from it and, and see how it looks, if that makes sense. Is that called hyper-focus? I was trying to think of the closest thing it reminds me of or like it brings to mind is like, a, it's like when actors, uh, I should know this word given that I was, Method. It's method. Method acting. Yeah, exactly. For me, I think really immersing yourself so much into the moment of painting. And um, I think maybe what I'm pursuing and paintings that interest me are the ones that aren't really rooted in reality. So as far as impressionist paintings, I'm not so sure. I think what I'm more interested in and the term I probably gravitate more towards is like, non-objective paintings um, because I think my ability to go to the place of like really pure imagination and a place that is removed from reality kind of determines the success of a painting. Tell me about the moment you think of as your starting point when you think you knew you were going to be an artist. My a lot of my earliest memories from my childhood were writing poetry and um, drawing, uh, really formative memories for me. And I think I always had a, a really strong creative impulse. Um, I was just trying to find this Philip Guston quote. Here's this quote about how you don't go into the studio and start painting. There's no clear distinction between painting and not painting it's like I feel that so much I can be at home lying in bed and I'll be running over paintings in my head and thinking about process and material and just um, I feel the same way kind of in life like there was no moment I started creating and that imp that impetus was present as early as I can remember um, as far as painting goes I really didn't start taking painting seriously or pursuing it until my senior year of high school. And um, I'm, I'm like a very stubborn person. So I think probably, yeah, from, from a young age, I was very set on kind of doing things my way and um, started charting, charting the course toward being a painter, like right around my senior year in high school. I don't think I could have been anything else. Um, why? What happened yeah. to make you think that? Your parents weren't artists. Did, did you see something? Did something happen? Why that? It's Portland, Oregon. Yes, there's a good, vibrant community there, but it wasn't... I'm wondering what prompted you to do that. At the time, I suppose it might have been the process of even applying for colleges and uh, really having to think about you know, what I wanted to pursue. At the time I was working at a OHSU, um, which is a big hospital in Portland. And I was working as a, a laboratory assistant, just, you know, pipetting and 
doing assays and like uh, this very labor intensive um, work and I was working probably like at least 40 hours a week on top of school and uh, applying to colleges. I think it was kind of assumed that I would pursue, uh, you know, biology or the science route. And um, right around that time, I, I just realized uh, in spite of the fact that it seems like seemed like everyone else around me was very proud of me for for everything I managed to accomplish in that sphere. It wasn't uh, gratifying to me enough to to really go that direction. So I, if I were to break it down and say to someone is your mind taken up with someone else's tasks and working 40 hour weeks um, for someone else thinking other thoughts wasn't going to fill your soul with any kind of purpose. It was very purposeful work. I have to say that. I have to say knowing I was working in a um I was working on novel stroke therapies and knowing that the work I was doing was literally going to help people uh in a very applied practical way was meaningful to me. And I think part of the difficulty of being an artist sometimes is that it feels very selfish. And like, there are definitely more practical ways to help people. I have a weird relationship with this because it's like, Picasso painted Guernica, what year was that? I'm not exactly sure. But around that time, people were fighting wars to liberate camps and people were making tangible, very real differences. And it feels strange sometimes to be holed away in a studio, you know, putting colors on canvas and acting like it's anything but, you know, this like selfish type of self-expression that's purely for my own enjoyment and my own gratification. Um, it's a weird thing. I think if I really wanted to help people, I might have stayed on that path. But maybe, maybe I'm just selfish and self-absorbed. I don't really know. I, I'm not saying that art doesn't have a, an enormous and important function. But I mean, it, it's a different kind of helping people than uh, working in the Red Cross or something. Well, this leads into the next question. Well, it's not the next question, but it's a question that's on the list. What is the purpose of art what is the reason for it let's see I know what the purpose of art is for me um, and I know what I think the purpose of art should be I wonder sometimes if we've strayed from the ideal of art as like appreciation like I said I, w I was thinking recently it's like the only two stories from the art world that have been disseminated widely into to a larger public audience. The, the Banksy painting that shredded itself and um, that banana that got taped to the wall. Maritza Cadillac, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it feels like the purpose of art has become more about spectacle and like uh, just the pure absurdity of like auction results and things that feel very separated from uh, what makes art meaningful to me and how I think it can, you know, bolster anyone's life and what I think 
you know, the average person would have felt walking into the Sistine Chapel, you know, after Michael, Michelangelo painted it. And it's like, uh, I, I have a weird relationship with this question because I think sometimes institutionally we've strayed and we tend to miss the mark. Um, what you're hitting on is where we're at now in history, but that doesn't really tell me why you're making art. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a quote popped into my head as you were talking, which um, it might not even be a quote. It might just be something I saw written on a whiteboard somewhere, but it was a something related to Viktor Frankl. And I think it is a quote of Viktor Frankl, actually. And he said, uh, despair is suffering without meaning. Yeah. And I know for me, art and... Um, beauty have provided the meaning that have got me through very tough times in my life. And without that, I think going through those difficult periods would have been impossible. So I, I suppose in a word, that's kind of it for me. Is... Your work includes the human body. Would you call yourself a figurative painter? My impulse is to say no. I don't think I'm a figurative painter like Jenny Seville. That's kind of who comes to mind when you say that, because I think of this idea of gesture and form. And um, the figures I paint oftentimes feel more static and maybe not dynamic enough to really consider like I'm playing with the human form, um, manipulating it in certain ways, but. Uh, no, I guess to answer your question, I don't really consider myself a figurative painter. Can you tell me something about the work you have in the upcoming exhibition, Dysmorphia? Yeah, the work I have is a, a piece. Um, it's called Jim Jones. It is a portrait. Uh, it's a large, like, probably eight foot by five foot portrait of Jim Jones, and he is the cult leader. Um, you know, he's the genesis of the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. He started um, the People's Temple, moved it from the Midwest to LA, and then from LA, they re relocated down to Guyana. And um, the painting is, it's something of a portrait by association. I mean, I have in the painting, like a picture of Kool-Aid on the ground. I have uh, this very jungled uh, environment of South America around Jim Jones. And his face isn't painted in the painting. And the idea of painting a portrait just through uh, the association of object and environment um, is an interesting idea to me. I mean, it's interesting to see how many people recognize it as Jim Jones and it seems like about 50-50, like 50% 50 of people can, can name it right off the bat. And um, I suppose I think a lot, a lot about uh, cults because um, this whole culture of, you know, the deification of celebrity and uh, even the election of Donald Trump, it felt like everyone wanted this uh, father figure to take them in the palm of their hand and to tell them, everything's going to be okay. And it's like, that's essentially, at least to me, I mean, that's the role of a cult leader. It's like the, 
you get to shill off personal responsibility and kind of just relinquish yourself to this godlike figure that you follow. And um, Jim Jones was before your time, though. Yeah, long. I mean, not long, long before, yeah. but yeah, he was. How, how how did he come up in your consciousness? I think he was someone who was there on the periphery of my awareness, and it's almost his ambiguity that drew me to him, and you know the fact that he remains ambiguous in the painting, and um, you know his face isn't painted, so he's identifiable. Um, you, you sort of referred to it earlier when you said it happened around the time Trump uh, was elected and, and you said about figures saving people and not personal responsibility and it, it made sense to me. You already said it and uh, the, the metaphor was good. So I guess you're asking society why history has to always repeat itself. I'm so glad you're my interviewer because you say things far more succinctly and uh, eloquently than I do. So exactly, I appreciate that. <laughs> what writers do you read and, and how does their work influence your work? I know you read a lot. In the last year, I've read a lot of Russian literature, but the, <laughs> the one thing I pulled up uh, when, I, when I saw that question um, there's a poet named Mark Leidner and I like his work. And, uh, at one point I read an interview he did. Um, do you mind if I just read this quote by Mark Leidner? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, he says, and he's speaking about poetry, but, um, I'll relate this to the art world in just a second. He says, sometimes poetry is a box we put words into, so we don't have to think about them. If you get up and say, this first poem is dot, 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 whatever follows comes inside that box. You could say anything you wanted. And at the end of the poem, even during the poem, the audience can write it off as just poetry. If someone says, fuck, 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 tits, 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 in the context of poetry, no one bats an eye. But if someone says that outside the context of poetry, we wonder, why are they saying that? What? What are they doing? Are they crazy? Are they a threat? Who are they? What might they say next? Just that idea. And like, <laughs> it was funny scrolling through Instagram. Just this morning, I saw like one of those Takashi Murakami, like sperm lasso characters. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. And the sperm lasso characters. Yeah. <laughs> Or I think there's a girl with, yeah. Uh, anyways, the, <laughs> um, and it's, it feels like sometimes in the context of art and being in a museum, you can walk into a room and if there's like a crap on the ground, you can just write it off and say like, it's just art. I mean, thinking about that sculpture, it's like, if I saw that in any other context, I would be so shocked, but it's, the fact that it exists inside like the box of being art almost takes away some of what's valuable, valuable about it to me and what would really make me think otherwise. We've, we've covered a lot of ground here and uh, we got to wrap this up yeah. is what I'm saying. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It feels like we've just started. 
I, I, I promised myself going to this and I was saying to Josh, I want to be on the podcast just to interview Maeve because you seem like you have such an encyclopedic knowledge of the art world and art history. And I want to come back on and ask you questions. And, no, um, you've got a deal. I love that. I think that's fair. I think I owe you that. <laughs> I think you owe me that too. I think so I owe you I'll that. So we'll make a date. <laughs> Until then, thank you for being available. And I will say goodbye for now, reluctantly. All right. Such a, such a pleasure talking to you. Have a good day. You too, Sol. Thank you. been listening to a private view this is Maeve Doyle if you like the show please subscribe and thank you for listening the music for this podcast was produced by Korshid Homie